here in Romans chapter number 14. I want to quickly read verse numbers 1 through 3, and then I'm going to exposit on that in just a moment. Look there in Romans chapter number 14, verse number 1. It says this, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Verse number three, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him that eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. The title of the sermon this morning is The Dangers of Veganism. The Dangers of Veganism. Now I'm going to be touching also on the subject of vegetarianism as well, but I'm going to be specifically touching and preaching on this morning the movement of veganism throughout the world today. Now just in the USA, I'm going to give you some statistics of the United States of America, of those that claim to be vegan today, and actually some of the Numbers that I saw in other studies, this is the conservative study. They were much higher than this. The number of U.S. consumers identifying as vegan grew from 1% to 6% between 2014 and 2017. So that is a 600% increase, and that is according to global data. Now, this is the most conservative study. The majority of the studies cite U.S. consumers identifying as vegans, uh, and this is vegans, you know, not just, not including those that are vegetarian, because there is a difference. Vegans in the U.S. at 10 and 11 percent. Now, in Australia, it has officially hit, I believe, uh, a, a, what is it, 11.6 percent now, so it's over 11 percent. That's the highest amount of vegans in the world in one country, in the country of Australia. And then also, uh, if you look at the next highest, it is it would be uh, England. It would be the UK. And they are now, those that identify as vegans are now 7% of the population. So 10% of people in Australia, 1 out of 10, would say that they are fully a vegan uh, you know, in diet and in philosophy. You look in the U.S. now today in the United States of America, 6% of people, 6% of people identify as vegan. Now, I don't know if you understand how fast that growth is, but that is extremely fast. There is no, let's say, religious group. There is no movement even that I know of that I've heard that has grown at that pace. 1% to 6% from, it says, 2014 to 2017. Now, I don't know even if they're including the years 2014, 2017. Maybe it's just between. I would assume it's four years. But that is extremely rapid growth. And I'm going to get into the dangers of veganism and what it means to be a vegan because a lot of people are very confused about that term and, and where, where people are coming from and why they, they uh, practice such. I want to begin this morning though in Romans chapter number 14 and I want to explain this concept because here in Romans chapter number 14 there's a lot of confusion about what this is teaching. I want you to look with me again at verse number 1. It starts off with this. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye. But then it goes further and says this, but not to doubtful disputations. Now, a person that is weak in the faith would be a babe in Christ, wouldn't it? It's an immature Christian, right? 
But he goes further and he says, yes, I want you to receive a weak Christian or a babe Christian, but not to doubtful disputations. Now, this is referring to a person that is causing controversy. You know, uh, something that maybe, you know, uh, that isn't extremely clear in the Bible, if you will, or even if it's something that's not necessarily a sin. It's just a preference, right? That this person is trying to push their preference upon you. That's really the topic of Romans chapter number 14. And that it's saying that you shouldn't receive that person. If they're going to be causing controversy, if they're going to be bringing up conflict, conflict about this subject, the church in Rome, he was saying, hey, you shouldn't receive that person. If the person's going to come in and they're just going to cause controversy and conflict over a doubtful disputation, over maybe their preference and try to push that on you, that person should not be received. And... In this case, it is a person that is a babe in Christ. Look at verse number 2. For, he's going to give us an example. One believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Now that's not talking about physically weak. Though that would also be true. It's talking about, as we saw in verse number 1, a person who is weak in the faith. It's talking about a babe in Christ. And it's saying that one person believes that he can eat all things. He can eat anything. That there is nothing off limits for the Christian and the Christian's diet, right? But then there's this other person who is weak in the faith. This is a babe in the Christ. Babe in Christ. And what does he believe? He believes and he practices only eating herbs, right? This is a person that is eating herbs. Now, what did it say in verse number one? What was the picture that was being painted? It was a person who was weak in the faith that's coming to the church, and what are they doing? They're causing controversy over what? Doubtful disputations. So the implication, the clear implication is that they are the one the person that is weak in the faith, and the person that is eating herbs only, that they are the one that would be coming to the church or coming to the congregation and trying to push their agenda and advocate their diet on you and for you. They were trying to teach as if, as if this is mandatory or something that a Christian should be doing, right? Verse number 3, it says this, Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. So it's talking about the person that eats all things. It's saying that you shouldn't despise another Christian brother because he's a vegetarian or because he's a vegan. That would be wrong and that would be sinful. That's not right. If a person came in here and they were a vegetarian or they were a vegan and they're a saved brother in Christ, we shouldn't just be beating that person down, you know, despising that person, looking down upon that person. You know, uh, may, you know, they're littler or smaller in our mind as opposed to another Christian who consumes a high meat, you know, type of diet. That's not right. That's not a reason that we should be just constantly judging our brother. That's what it's saying, right? So, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. Then it says this, for God hath received him. So he's still a child of God, isn't he? He's still one of your brethren. Now, if there is a Christian, I want to begin with this. If there is a Christian that is a vegetarian or a vegan... We shouldn't look down upon that brother and look at them or that sister as though they are less because less of a Christian or less of, you know, of value even because they have embraced or because they have, you know, received this type of diet. Now, I want to say this as well. This is specifically just talking about a diet, isn't it? This is a person that, you know, let's say that they're a vegetarian or a vegan in the sense that this is their diet and it ends there. Right? That's what this is discussing. And I want you to understand that because that's going to become very relevant 
in just a few minutes. Later on in um, this chapter, the Bible is very, very clear that, you know, Paul is very clear that there is nothing unclean of itself. And that when it comes to the Bible, that we can eat all things. That's why the Christian who is only eating herbs is depicted as a Christian that is weak in the faith. And I'm going to say this as well. If a person at, it, you know, truly is a Christian, they're a saved, born-again believer, and they have adopted this diet of just eating vegetables or just eating, you know, or just even their diet is a vegan diet, that person, that is a, a major indicator that that person is weak in the faith. According to Paul and according to Romans 14, they fit that mold of what Paul is de uh, depicting here, isn't it? They fit that type of mold that they are a person that is weak in the faith. They're a babe in Christ. I want you to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter number 24. Luke chapter number 24. But let me say this, that as a Christian... As a Christian, under the New Covenant, you have the liberty to adopt any sort of diet that you want. Just as we see here in Romans 14. You have the liberty to eat anything that you would like and you're not sinning against the Lord. And if you were to act as if it is a sin because of someone's diet of veganism, vegetarianism, whatever it may be, that that is a sin, then you're out of line. And that's not what I'm going to be preaching this morning at all. I'm not going to be up here telling you that it's a sin, you know, to, you know, just eat vegetables, right? You're sinning against the Lord if you only are eating carrots and greens. That's not what I'm preaching at all, right? That is not at all what I'm saying. But let me say this. Notice in Romans chapter number 14 that when he, when he brings up this type of situation, he brings up this type of scenario... Notice where the doubtful disputation is coming from. I want you to notice that where all the controversy and where all the conflict is coming from. Which side? It's coming from the, the, the vegetarian side, isn't it? It's coming from the vegan side, isn't it? In Romans chapter number 14. And I want to go ahead and say this as well. That the reason why, the reason why the percentage has grown from 1% to, to 6% in the United States of America and all other Western societies throughout the world is because of the militant activism that goes on in the vegan and vegetarianism type of world. Now, I don't know if you're aware of that or not, but, the, the, but those that subscribe to veganism specifically are extremely militant about their beliefs. And they are extremely, if you could even refer to them as being fundamentalists in a sense, right? They are extremely militant and they are extremely active. You know, there are different types of activism. And I don't know if, if it was similar at that time, which I believe that it is from just a few other points outside of this sermon. But that's how it is today, that the person that is the vegetarian or the person that is the vegan, they are extremely active on trying to push their diet on you. Do you ever see anybody going around trying to convert people to being a meat eater? Do you ever see anybody really going around and doing that? You never see that. But it's very common and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's, you know, seen very frequent that people that only eat herbs, what are they doing? They're going around and trying to persuade you or trying to propagate their diet upon you. This is very, very common. So if you are a Christian and if you are a vegetarian or if you are a vegan, 
If you are going around and trying to tell other Christians that they must just eat herbs, herbs or that they must, that this is a commandment or a mandate and that they have to eat herbs or they have to eat just a, consume just a vegan diet, you are in sin, my friend. You are in sin by telling someone that they have to just eat herbs or they have to consume this vegan diet. And normally that's where it comes from. And that's why... It has grown from 1% to 6%. It's not just people seeing the light. I want you to understand why I'm preaching about this morning. It's not just people waking up and understanding, you know, I just need to eat herbs. You know, 5% of people just woke up and over a period of four years they realized, you know, I just need to be herbs, eat herbs. It is people going around and actively and militantly trying to convert people to this type of diet. That is why it has grown so quickly because... This group is extremely militant with their activism. Now, that is point number one. If you are a Christian, even if you're not a Christian, if you are a vegan, let's just say that, or a vegetarian, and you are trying to tell someone that they must eat just herbs or they must eat you know, this vegan or consume this vegan type of diet, you are in sin according to the Bible. That is a transgression against the Lord. That's a sin to do so. Number one, but as I mentioned, you, do, you have the liberty to eat whatever you'd like. You have the liberty to eat any sort of diet. Under the New Covenant, you can eat anything that you want. But that does not mean, because God allows you to eat anything that you want, that does not mean that God does not encourage the certain, a certain diet in the Bible. That does not mean that the Bible does not teach that there is a healthier diet than another. And that the Bible actually presents, and, and as I said, the best word would be encourages a different type of diet. And the diet that the Bible encourages is almost as far as can possibly be from the diet that is found in the veganism movement, the philosophy of vegetarianism. It's exactly opposite. And that's what I want to begin with this morning is looking at the diet of the Bible, the diet that, that God himself encourages. First, I want to begin in Luke chapter number 24, as I had you turn there. Luke chapter number 24. If we want to find out what we should be consuming as Christians, we need to look at our Creator, don't we? He created the world around us, right? And if there's food on this planet, well, He's the one that's going to tell us what we should be eating and what we should not be eating. And where is a better place to look than when the Creator came down and lived on this earth as a man? He knows what's here for food, doesn't He? He knows what we should be consuming and what our diet should look like. So let's look at God in the flesh. And while He spent His time on this earth, let's look at the diet that He consumed and the things that He chose to eat. Look at Luke chapter number 24. I want you to look with me at verse number 39. This is even the Lord in His glorified form, His glorified body. It says this in Luke chapter number 24, verse number 39. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. So there he's pointing out that he has physically rose again from the dead. Look at verse number 40. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. Verse 41, and while they yet believed not for joy and wondered. So notice that there's a little bit of doubting here about his resurrection. He does this, watch. He said unto them, have ye here any meat? 
Now that just means food, right? The word meat in the Bible doesn't necessarily mean what we refer to as meat. The word flesh is, is used to refer to what we refer to as meat, right? Uh, so he says, have, have you here any meat? He's asking for any food. Now watch verse 42 though. And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of and honeycomb. So I want you to notice that in the Lord Jesus Christ's glorified body that he consumed food. He came back to this earth and appeared unto his disciples and while he was here in that body, he ate, didn't he? And he said, hey, have you any meat? And they gave him food and you know what they gave him? They gave him fish, broiled fish, and they gave him and honeycomb. So right there we can see that the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of the earth, when he has the choice of the foods that he's going to eat, notice he didn't say, that has a face. I don't want to eat that fish, right? What did he say? He took it and he ate it. Now, if we just keep in mind, you know, I've heard some ridiculous things, and I'm gonna, that's one of the things that I'm going to be focusing on in a big part of this sermon, is this type of attitude where people will, who claim to be Christian, and I'm not saying that there aren't Christians that are vegans, but people that will claim to be Christians, they'll try to use the Bible to teach this type of diet. They'll try to twist things in the Bible, but you can't. There are things that are taught so much in the Bible that there, there are things that might be mentioned a few times on certain topics that, that are doubtful disputations that are, you know, you could go through and try to, you know, uh, in the sense that it's hard to nail down a couple of things, isn't it? It's hard to nail down, you know, what this particular topic, what the answer is. It could go either way. There's tons of stuff like that. We'll have conversations about those and hash those types of things out amongst Christian brethren, right? But there are some things in the Bible that are super clear. And one of the very clear things in the Bible is the diet. If we look at the diet that God himself consumed while he was on this earth, but also that the diet that the Bible characters on this earth consumed. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he was glorified, he ate a broiled piece of fish. I heard a, a man that claims to be a Christian one time that he, he said that the word here is actually, uh, it could be translated as seaweed. Well, number one, I don't know why you would broil seaweed. Maybe I, I don't know, you know something about seaweed. Maybe you do actually broil seaweed. But furthermore, if you look at the, you compare the passages to this, there are, there's a passage where, where Peter and all of them are out on the boat. And you know what they do is they're out there fishing. And it talks about how they, how they caught fish. And it actually counts the fish that they pull up in a net. I don't know how you catch seaweed, but I'd venture to say that you don't catch seaweed by just throwing a net out there and pulling it up. All of his disciples virtually, do you know what their job was? Many of them, fishermen. So the disciples that, you know, that Jesus chose out, their occupation even was fishermen. And not only did Jesus, while he was on this earth in his physical form, did he consume fish and foods like that. He also, after in his glorified body, do you know what he ate? Broiled fish. Do you know what else he ate? A piece of of and honeycomb. I want you to go with me to Isaiah chapter number 7 verse number 15. We're going to see this again. Now the difference between vegetarianism and veganism is this. Veganism is the objection of using any at all animal products nor eating animals. It's the objection of any use of animal at all. Whether it be their meat, their flesh at all, but any use at all in general of an animal. And that would include, you know, animal products such as eggs, dairy, things that are, you know, the product of. Not necessarily eating their flesh, but the things that are the product of. 
an animal. Right there we could see a honeycomb. So he ate the fish. So we see right there he's obviously not even a vegetarian. Jesus was not a vegetarian. Case closed. He ate the broiled fish. But not only that, he ate the honeycomb. Now honey is also a byproduct of a of bees. It's a, it's a product of animals. So here in Isaiah chapter number 7, let me get there myself. This is also a a prophecy of what the Lord's diet is going to be like. What the Lord's diet is going to be like. And it's interesting because there's a spiritual application to it as well. It says this in Isaiah chapter number 7, verse number 15. Butter and honey shall he eat. Now watch this. That he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. So it almost likens it unto a spiritual aspect there. But notice the two foods that are mentioned. What is it? It's butter. That is a product, an animal product. It is a dairy product that comes from a cow. But then it's also honey. And that is a product of bees. It is made by bees, of course. So he's consuming. There's a prophecy about the diet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he comes on this earth, so we can look at the diet that he ate while on this earth in his, in his earthly ministry. And it was butter and honey. It was filled with animal products. So we saw also that he's not a, uh, a vegetarian or a vegan from even in his glorified body. He was consuming fish and he was also eating honey. I want you to go to Acts chapter number 10. So we, can, we, we know in his earthly ministry, he ate foods that defy the vegetarian diet and the vegan diet. Not only that... In his glorified body, he ate foods that are anti-vegetarian and anti-vegan right there. He chose out disciples that their occupation was, as a, for a living, they were fishermen. They were catching fish. And of course, they were selling them. They were eating them themselves. That was, that were the, that, uh, those were the disciples, the types of jobs that his disciples had. So there in Acts chapter number 10, I want you to notice here in Acts chapter number 10, uh, a couple of statements that are made to the Apostle Peter. In the Old Testament, there were certain foods and animals that were off limits. They were not allowed to eat these particular animals. But they weren't you know, uh, they, they had nothing to do with like a vegetarian or a vegan diet. These animals were just considered to be unclean. When you look at a lot of the animals, they're unsanitary animals. You know, they have their own little problems. You look at, you know, a pig is obviously a scavenger. You look at the vulture, it's obviously a scavenger. You look at the animals that were in the sea, they were scavenger type animals. They were bottom dwellers, you know, shrimp and things like that. There, there, there were practical applications to the animals that they were told not to eat, right? Uh, but once we get into the New Covenant, the Bible's real clear that you can eat all things. As we saw in Romans chapter number 14, you can eat anything that you want. You have the liberty to choose and to eat anything that you want. And right here in Acts chapter number 10, we see that idea being introduced. And we can also eliminate the vegetarian diet from being a mandate from God here in Acts chapter number 10. I want you to look at verse number 9. It says this, On the morrow... As they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending on him. So he's seeing this vision. As it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down... To the earth. So it's, it's as if it was knit. So he can't see inside the sheet. It's saying that the four corners, it's holding this animal and it's slowly letting it down. Or it's holding things within this sheet as if the four corners are knit together and it's being dropped and slowly lowered down to the earth. 
Then it says this in verse 12, wherein, so this is what the sheet is holding, were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. So once it gets to the earth, it obviously is opened up at this point. He's able to see all of the different animals that are in there. And I want you to notice that it says, all manner. That means all types. All manner of four-footed beasts of the earth. And then it says, and wild beasts. And creeping things. Now, creeping thing was one of the things specifically in the Old Testament they were not supposed to eat. But it says this, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. So all manner of all of those things. Verse 13, and there came a voice to him. While he's looking at all this, it says this, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Verse 14, but Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. So he's talking about those specific animals. At this time, he's not aware that there's been this change with the new covenant coming in. And that there's some animals that, you know, uh, he believes there's still those animals he cannot eat. But the Lord's revealing to him now that there's been a change. Look at verse 15. And the voice spake unto him again the second time. What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. Verse 16. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, of course, this has a spiritual application of the Gentiles as well. And that's what that actually represented in the Old Testament and why that, that was implemented. But I want you to notice that it's all manner of beasts. Every type of beast, every fowl. Do you know what it is? It's everything in the earth, basically. Every single animal in the earth is set before Peter. This is important to understand. Every animal of all types, all of them, and every fowl. And Peter's looking at them, and do you know what God says to him? Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Do you know what he's telling him? You can choose from any and all animals that are before you to eat. Every animal that you can see, every animal that is set there before you right now, you have the choice of what you would like to eat. That's the diet that a Christian has to his exposure. That is the diet that the Creator has for us if we so choose. Now, you have the liberty. You can choose whatever you want. But right here, we can see that God is giving us permission or even, if you will, encouraging. Because Peter's like, hey, you know, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. You know what he tells him? What God has cleansed, call not thou common or unclean. So he, what is he doing? What is he, what is he saying to him by that response? He is encouraging him to go ahead and eat those things that before he thought to be unclean. Peter's got a lot of self-control because you know what's there as well? There's a pig there. And you know, maybe he didn't know what bacon tastes like at that point. But there's just all manner of beasts. And he could choose from any and all that he wants. And he looks at him and the Lord says to him, Rise, Peter. And notice what it says. Kill and eat. These animals are before him and he has to go forth and he has to kill these animals. And then you know what he does? He would eat these animals. He has permission from the Lord to do so. Uh, I want you to go to 1 Kings chapter number 17. I'll give you another example where the Lord actually provides food for man. He provides food for man, and it's not a vegetarian or a vegan diet when the children of Israel are in the wilderness, right? Now, of course, and that's why if you go into 1 Kings 17, first he provides what? Manna from heaven. And they, they become dissatisfied with the manna, and what do they want? They want flesh. That's how you know that the children of Israel were Baptists, right? They wanted flesh. They're requesting flesh to eat. They wanted meat is what they wanted. Then they're complaining. They were, they were saying that, hey, when we were in Egypt, we had flesh. 
to eat, right? And they're just dissatisfied and they're murmuring and complaining. And then the Lord says, fine, I'll give you flesh. And of course, he's dissatisfied, but he's not dissatisfied because they're like, I can't believe that you would desire flesh to eat or that you want to kill these animals, right? No, he's dissatisfied with them, that is, the Lord, because they are not content with what he has provided. That's what caused the Lord to be unhappy with them. But do you know what he does do? He gave them flesh. Now, if it was wrong for them to eat flesh, if it was wrong for them to, you know, uh, uh, for the Lord to kill an animal and to provide it for them, he wouldn't have done that. He wouldn't have made an exception and said, okay, here you go. But he went ahead and he gave them the quail. But not only did he give them the quail, do you remember what he did on top of that? He gave them quail, but he gave them what? Way more than they needed. He just killed like massive, a massive amount of quails where it's just like, they're just like heaped up around the camp. Does everyone remember that? There's just like tons of them. And he says, I'm going to feed you with quail so much. He says that it's going to come out of your nostrils. And then this long, you know, this strong uh, east wind comes in and then just these quails are just dropping dead. Bam, bam, bam. To the point where they're literally like heaps around the camp. Does it sound like the Lord has the philosophy of a vegan? Or of, of like PETA, where he's just like, you know, he's against, you know, the killing of animals. Is that what it sounds like? No, of course not. Was there a purpose for that? Was there, were, answer this question for me. Were those quails that, you think that the children of Israel just ate all of those quails? You think that that was for them to satisfy their hunger? No, I'm sure they sat there and they rotted and they died. They died and then they just sat there and they rotted and they stank there, didn't they? So what was his attitude about that? Did it seem like he had this, this type of attitude where he was real super concerned about the life of all of those quails? The life of the birds or the life of... No, he, he did it purely to make a point to them. So you know what that peers, uh, shows? He has zero regard for the life of those quails. Zero. No regard for the life of that animal, of a quail, of animals in general. He put all of those animals before Peter and he said, go and pick and kill what you want and eat it. Go kill whatever you want. Does it sound like he's concerned about the suffering or the violence, if you will, of animals? No. Not even slightly. That's the creator of the earth. That's his creation. He's the one that decides their purpose. He's the one that decides their value. The creator is the one who decides the value. He is. And he says they have no value. I'll kill them whenever I want to. I'll kill them just to make a point. Thousands, I'm sure millions, around the entire camp... Of millions of people, millions, if not probably billions, if they're heaped up. Just so many quails, it's just insane amount. Can you imagine just like a heap of just quails, just like everywhere? Have you ever seen a quail? It's like the smallest bird in the world. It's, it is so small, it's ridiculous. You know, we went to a Mediterranean restaurant one time and we ordered quail. And we should have ordered like eight of them just for it to be a sufficient appetizer. This thing was like, it was like literally like two bites. Quail is like the smallest bird in the world. Now, with that in mind, imagine trying to build a wall around millions of people with quails. Billions of quails died just for the Lord to make a point. Right. Oh, you're hungry? You would like flesh? Okay. Brings in the strong east wind and just causes just billions of quails to die. Do you think he's just like worried about their suffering? It's ridiculous. This is not a biblical philosophy at all. 
What I have you turn? First Kings 17, 3. So people will say, well, yeah, the quail wasn't, the flesh wasn't there. You know, the Lord's original plan for the children of Israel. He just wanted them to consume manna, bread, to have a plant-based, you know, you know, uh, plant-based type of diet. Okay, well, let's see that. Look at 1 Kings 17, 3. It says this. Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. Now watch this. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. Now, Elijah did not complain. Elijah did not request, this is speaking of the prophet Elijah, any specific type of food. This is God's choice of what he desired or what he wanted Elijah to eat. This is God choosing. You know what happened here was Elijah sat down and he sat down for dinner one day and the Lord said, just give me, you know, you don't need a menu, I'm just going to feed you. That's basically what took place here. And he went back into the kitchen and he cooked a meal of, of the Lord's volition and brought him what he wanted him to eat. Do you know what he gave him? For, he, he, he ate two meals. And you know what he ate? Flesh and bread. Flesh is referring to what we call meat, right? He's eating flesh and bread in the morning and flesh and bread in the evening. Now this is, so if a person wants to, and I've heard these arguments a lot recently while I've been looking this topic up. People are like, yeah, well, when the Lord provided their food, the children of Israel in the wilderness, He wanted them to just eat the bread. He wanted them to just eat the manna. But they complained, so then He gave them the flesh. Did Elijah complain? Not at all. The Lord just says, hey, go there and I'm going to feed you. And God decides what He's going to eat, and you know what He chose to feed him with? He had, he had a raven bring him food. You know what he ate? Flesh and bread. Two meals a day. Both times. Flesh and bread. So does it sound like the Lord approves or disapproves of the consumption of meat? Sounds like he approves of it. Not only does he approve of it, he encourages it. If God could choose what you could eat, what does it sound like he would choose for you to eat in your meals? It sounds like two things. In this case, flesh and bread. He's encouraging the consumption of two things flesh and bread. That's what he thought. Do you think that he wanted Elijah to be healthy? Think about it. You think, he, you think that he's feeding him a type of food that's going to that's cause him to be unhealthy? You think that the Lord, the creator of the earth, don't you think that he understands what would be a nutritional diet for you? So would it make sense that he would just feed Elijah with something that's just unhealthy and not good for him? That wouldn't make sense, would it? So during this period of time, during his meals, you know what he's eating? Flesh and bread. Now, is he getting vegetables and things like that? It Probably, but not from the Lord. He, he's, he's at the brook. He can pick those. He can get those from the brook, right? But it would be impossible for him to go out to a field and, and all of that. There's probably wild types of vegetables and things like that that he can get, but he, he doesn't have access to... He's not going to go out and hunt all these... You know, He needs to stay near the brook. But you know what he's given from the Lord? For, uh, flesh and bread. So this right here is just an, another example upon many. We see what the Lord himself is eating, but then we see when he wants to provide another person, a human being with food, they're given meat, a, di a diet that is, uh, you know, uh, consists of meat, flesh, and then also bread. It is healthy for you to eat flesh and bread. 
I want you to go now to uh, uh, go to Exodus chapter number 29, verse number 38. Actually, you, know, you don't need to go to Exodus. You go to Daniel chapter number 1. Daniel chapter number 1. Now, there are so many different examples of proving this, this type of, of veganism or, or vegetarianism false when we're using the Bible as our authority. Obviously, we know that the whole nation of the children of Israel were shepherds. The entire nation, they were shepherds. So you know what they're consuming? They're consuming dairy products. They're consuming milk and cheese. It's mentioned constantly. Do you know what else they're doing? They're eating the sheep. All the time, you know what happens? You have stories of them eating lamb, eating sheep, eating calf. What happens in the parable of the prodigal son? The son comes back and what does he say he's going to celebrate with? Hey, go kill the fatted calf. Go out there and kill the calf that we, you know, we have ready for a special meal. Right there. Go out there and, 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 and uh, kill the fatted calf, bring him in, and we're going to eat him for this celebration. So that's just the parable that Jesus is teaching. It's not even necessarily a, a specifically true story, but he gives you an example from their everyday lives. And do you know what? It was commonplace to do. Kill the fatted calf. We had a celebration. Bring in. And do you, know who the, do you know who the father depicts? The Lord. God. And you know what God says? Kill the fatted calf and bring it in and let's celebrate. That's what the Lord says, right? So you're here in Daniel chapter number one, and I want to use a couple of... I want to go to a couple of the passages that I've heard used and twisted and where people will attempt to try to teach and use the Bible to say that, <clears throat> that uh, we should consume a vegetarian or a vegan type of, of diet. Now, here in Daniel chapter number 1 is one thing that they'll point to, and there's something called Daniel's diet. Now, there's, there's another thing called Daniel's fast. That's different. That's where a guy says that, hey, for a period of time, it's good to do you know, vegetables and things like that, just for a period of time. But there's something that's called Daniel's diet. And they try to use Daniel chapter number 1 to prove that the most healthy type of diet, according to the Bible, is just a, a diet of water and vegetables alone. That's what they'll try to teach. And I'm going to show you where they're getting that from, and I'm going to explain to you their misunderstanding when it comes to this passage. Go to Daniel chapter number 1. Look at verse number 9. The Bible says this, Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. You know what? I should have uh, uh, read back a little bit further. Let's read verse 8 real quick. I'm sorry about that. Look at verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So what people will say right here is that, well, the meat is, you know, flesh. And Daniel is totally against eating any sort of flesh, and that would be defiling himself. But then also they'll say, yeah, in there you shouldn't, you know, be drinking, uh, uh, you know, I don't even know if they, what they teach about the wine. I'm not even positive that they focus on that. Maybe they just say that you should only consume water. You know, I'm not sure what they actually teach about that. My opinion is that the wine that that the king has is alcohol and it's not 
you know, the pure blood of the grape, and that that would be because both of them are defiling him. Another option and possibility is that maybe it's sacrificed unto devils, and that this would be a particular, you know, type of sacrifice that they would be doing. That's why it would be defiling him. But either way, he had already purposed in his heart that he was not going to consume the food and the drink from the king. And they say that that meat is flesh, which it doesn't tell you that. It just says the meat. Now that could be bread. That could be anything, number one. So there's their first misunderstanding. It doesn't even say that. But number two, I want you to look there at verse number 10. It says this now. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink, for why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. So of course this man's saying, hey, you're not going to be healthy if you don't eat this food. If you don't eat it all or, or if you don't eat this food, he's, he's trying to tell him, hey, this is the steward of them. He's meant to watch over them. You're not going to be healthy, right? And this is the argument that these people will use. Look at verse 11. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah, prove thy servants. He's saying, test us and prove us. I beseech thee ten days and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances, this is our faces, be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. So compare us to them, the people that are eating that food, and let us you know, eat something different. You know, keep reading here. It says verse uh, uh, 14. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. Verse 15. And at the end of ten days their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Now, pulse is just vegetables. That's what pulse is. Pulse is just vegetables. And it says that they were consuming vegetables, or pulse, and water. And then over here you have them consuming the king's meat. And then they come in and they look at them and they notice that these people are fairer in flesh than them. So, the vegetarian or the vegan, when they read this passage, they believe that it's just teaching to us that the vegetarian or the vegan diet is just healthier. And that's why Daniel and his ten friends are healthier looking because that is just a healthier diet. Now, there's multiple things wrong with that. Number one, we know that the children of Israel did not consume a diet like that. That's not the type of diet that the children of Israel were even encouraged to eat. Now, to try to say that Daniel was forever a, a vegetarian or vegan is number one false because he could not have been a child of Israel. He could not have been a part of the nation of Israel. And the reason why is because there was a celebration that came around in the month Abib on the 14th day. Do you know what that was? The Passover. And if you did not eat the Passover, you were to be cut off from among your people. You were not allowed. Remember, there was a big debate between Moses and Aaron and all of that when that took place. And if you were unclean, that was fine if you weren't there. But if you were among the children of Israel and you are able, you are expected to take part in the Passover. Do you know what the Passover is? It is the, the slaying. You kill the animal yourself. And then the consumption of a lamb or it can be a goat. One of the two. So he would not have been able to be a part of the nation of Israel if he was not eating at least the Passover. Number two, this is a miracle that took place. Because of Daniel and his three friends' faith that they put in God, the Lord blessed them and caused this food to be sufficient for their nutrition during this period of time, during this particular time. And why? Because 
That, they did not want to defile themselves with the king's meat. That is exactly what was going on. Now, number three, I want you to turn to Daniel chapter number 10. And I'm going to prove to you from the book of Daniel alone that Daniel was not a lifelong vegan. He did not believe that this even was the most healthy diet. He knew that that was a miracle that was taking place when he just ate pulse or vegetables and water. Look at Daniel chapter number 10, verse number 2, it says this. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Verse number 3. I ate, so in those three full weeks, I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth. Now watch this. Neither, I did, neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. So I want you to notice that he's very clear that it's only during these three weeks. These specific one, two, three weeks. And why was he doing this? It was because he was in mourning. It was because he had a reason to be sorrowful or sad. And it was you know, because uh, the, the, the uh, children of Israel were in captivity during that time. And he had seen what was going to take place in the future and everything. That's why he was mourning. But the word that's very important there is the word that says till. That, that, you know, that's like the word until, right? So he, he mentions a couple of things there. Number one, he says that he didn't eat any pleasant bread. Number two, he says that he didn't eat any flesh. Number three, he didn't drink any wine. It didn't come into his mouth. Nor did he anoint himself at all. And then it says this, till, till or until three whole weeks were fulfilled. You know what that means? That once those three weeks were fulfilled, do you know what he did? He anointed himself. Do you know what else he did? He ate pleasant bread. Do you know what else he did? He drank wine. And fourthly, do you know what he ate? Flesh came into his mouth. There was this specific time wherein he did not consume flesh, where he did not eat wine, where he didn't do all these other things. But once that time was fulfilled, he was done mourning. He was done being sorrowful and fasting. But then after that was complete, he ate flesh. So this Daniel's diet is a total and complete sham. It is not what the Bible teaches. It's not the diet that God encourages. It's not the diet that the children of Israel ate you know, or he would not have been able to even be a part of the nation of Israel. And not only that, it wasn't the diet that Daniel ate. When we, even when we read the book of Daniel, Daniel clearly states and, and, and teaches that he ate flesh after that one particular time. Once he was able to choose of his own volition and he, was, he didn't have to eat uh, and defile himself with the king's wine and meat, he chose out food to eat. And you know what he ate? Bread, flesh, and he drank wine. There's obviously a difference here, one thing that you could use, Daniel 1 and Daniel 10. There's a difference between the two meats and there's also a difference between the two wines. Just like it says, their wine you know, is the poison of asps. Right? There's a difference between the wine, obviously, here. And that's why he doesn't want to drink that wine, but he has a wine that he drinks. Alright, I want you to go now to... Um, go ahead and uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. And this is going to be the major point of this sermon. Not necessarily the diet. I didn't want to, I didn't spend a lot of, too much time on that, um, and I uh, didn't want to harp on it too much, uh, but not only that, you have Genesis chapter number 9, verse number 3. I want to read to you about the diet before we move on too much from it. You know, Genesis 9, 3 is God 
clearly giving permission to mankind to eat all creatures. Anything that you would like. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. So we can choose of the green herb, but in the same way we can eat of the green herb, according to the Lord, the creator of the earth. The Bible tells us that the, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's all His. He owns it. And He says, eat whatever you want. You can choose and eat whatever you would like. You can eat the green herb, but also the creature, he says this, that, he says this, every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. Now, does that sound like he's saying you can or also that he's encouraging it? Sounds like he's encouraging it. Shall be meat for you. Furthermore, that proves that the purpose of them is what? For us to consume and eat them. Now, even science-wise, if you look into like the vegan diet and you, if you look up the types of, of foods that you are allowed to eat and the nutrients that are in just, the, just a plant-based diet, right? That's what, they, that's what a vegan diet is. It's a, it is a plant-based diet. That is not nutritionally efficient for you in your life. And even vegans will admit to you when pinned down, if you, you watch enough videos and stuff, they'll start admitting to you and talking about the fact that they have to supplement. There are a lot of, just a plant-based diet is not sufficient for the human body. You cannot survive. It is not possible to live. There are like so few exceptions. Let me say that. There are few exceptions, but by and large, it is not possible for a human being to be able to survive on a plant-based diet. There are so many nutrients that you are deficient in. You know, calcium, of course, you know, they're not drinking milk and getting all of that, right? Uh, there's iron. There is, uh, uh, one of the big ones is, vi is uh, vitamin B12. B12, they are extremely deficient in. To the point that if you look these people up, they have this little, I saw this one guy who had this spray bottle that contained like a, a condensed version of B12. And he'll just randomly throughout the day like five times pull this bottle out of his pocket and tss, tss, just spray it into his mouth. Just to try to supplement his diet. Do you know why? Because the diet that he is eating is not adequate for his body. It is not possible to just you know, eat a plant-based diet. It is not healthy for your body. If you are having to supplement in some way or another, that tells you there's something wrong with the diet or the foods that you're eating. You know, they don't get omega-3 fatty acids. They don't get omega-3s. They don't get, uh, um, you know, um, I can't think of the rest of them, but there's, there's multiple. Zinc. Zinc. That's one of the other uh, nutrients that they're low on. There's zinc, there's iron, there's calcium, there's vitamin D, of course, also there with calcium, and vitamin B12. These are all, and they have to try to supplement their diet in, in all of these different ways. Do you know why? Because the human body is not designed to consume that type of diet. Just a plant-based diet alone, the human body is not designed for that. Now, you can choose to do whatever you want. Don't misunderstand me. You can choose to eat that type of diet if you want. You can choose to only eat meat. You can, you can choose to do that, and that, that would not be healthy. You can do that if you like. But it is not healthy, speaking of vegetarianism and veganism, it is not healthy to just eat a plant-based diet alone. It's not. And this is one of those new you know, you know, dietary fads that's going around in the United States. And there, there are new of them, and many of them that just that blow up. You know, it was the paleo diet. I remember when I was working at the telephone company, right at that time, 
The paleo diet was huge. All the guys are talking about the paleo diet. We had to meet in the morning and had this particular meeting for about 20 minutes where we all sat around this table. And it was like every day, all the, you know, the, my fellow workers are just discussing you know, their new venture of the paleo diet. The paleo diet kind of fell you know, off the face of the map now. People still do the paleo diet, I'm sure, probably in small numbers, but it's not like it was. It was extremely popular. Now the paleo diet is, what is it? Uh, it's like heavy grains and meat, right? Is that correct? Is that what paleo diet is? You know, I know it goes, it's like the paleolithic age, right? And it's, this, a lot of this is based upon evolution, by the way. That's what it is. They'll look at your body and they'll try to give you these scientific facts of, hey, this is why your body has developed to eat these. You know, let's, you know, look at the caveman, right? Which never existed. And let's say, let's see what his diet was, because that is a way that we'll be able to determine what you should eat. You know? The, it's, it's ridiculous. I believe it's heavy grains and heavy meat, and it's like not a lot of vegetables. But I'm not positive about that. And the new diet, which I, you know, this may offend people in here, is the keto diet. The ketogenic diet. The ketogenic diet is not healthy. You know, I realize that people may not like hearing that, and I'll tell you why I, I believe that it's not healthy, is be from Scripture. That's why. Because the ketogenic diet is against the consumption of bread. That's one of the things. And a major portion of... This needs to be our final authority in all areas of our life. Every area. It's not like, well, I need to figure things out over here because the Lord didn't help me. No, it's... You know, diet is spoken of a lot in the Bible. It's spoken of a lot. And we are given the diets that God provides. We're given the diets that... You know, give us this day our daily bread. There's a lot discussed about the foods that we should eat. When, when God provided for Elijah food, what did he give him? Flesh and bread. When God provided for the children of Israel in the wilderness, he gave them bread. He was going to feed them bread during that time. Of course, it's a special bread, but it was bread. right? And, um, you know, I have family members that are real big on the keto diet. And the first time I heard about it, I, I thought about it for maybe a couple of days, and then I rejected it out of hand. It's also, it's down on dairy. The Bible is huge on dairy. The Bible talks about consuming dairy a lot, right? And this new keto type of diet is, you know, teaches that, you know, we need to eliminate, you know, dairy. And if we do, it needs to be low fat. And we need to, you know, they try to get you to eliminate almost all carbs. It's, it's, and the argument that I've heard from Christians is this, is, well, it's because the bread today is different and it's bad. But that's, that's not a sufficient argument, and I'll tell you why. Because the bread, a thousand years ago, two thousand year, years ago, the carbs weren't different. So the purpose why the keto diet is down on bread is not necessarily, yeah, they may mention it, because it's been genetically modified and all of that, right? But it's because it has the carbs in it. Well, the bread 2,000 years ago that wasn't genetically modified also had all those carbs in it. So the keto diet would still be against that bread. When Jesus said, give us, our, give us this day our daily bread. You know, uh, there, it's down on carbs. It's down on dairy. It's, it's, not the it's not the type of diet that the Bible presents. And we need to look at the Bible. And when there's this new fad of diets that arises, we need to look at the Bible and say, you know, does this sound like it jives with what the Bible presents as what I should be consuming as a Christian or, or you know, scripturally, right? So... We need to look at these things. before we, When we hear it, try it with Scripture. 
you know, don't go to sciencehealth.com first and see what they see. We need to see what the, the Bible is my authority in all areas. Every single area of my life. And when I heard that, I thought about it for a couple days. And yeah, I think about things scientifically. But I go to the Bible. And Jesus' Jesus's prayer is not irrelevant for you today. You know, give us this day our daily bread. But your bread's going to go bad in 2,000 years. So you're going to have to pray for cloud bread or keto bread, whatever they refer to it as, right? Yeah, there may be breads that have been genetically modified today. And there might be issues with some of the breads. But there are other breads that are not genetically modified that still contain the same amount of carbs. Now, let me tell you why, and Brother Russell and I talked about this a little bit, why people, why in the American diet, the keto diet has become so popular. I don't know if we talked about this specifically, but we hit on it a little bit. And it's because people are so sedentary. And do you know what's important about carbs? You have to use them. Right. So you know why the keto diet is good for a lot of Americans? Because we sit around too much. That's why people are like, oh, a keto diet's perfect for me. And, and, and it's not just you. I'm not just talking about you if you feel like, oh, you're saying I'm lazy, right? No, I'm saying the American lifestyle in general has become too convenient. So do you know what happened was some guy, and they, they realized, the people that make up these types of diets, they know that, hey, the new fad is going to catch on. So they just have to make sure that it's different than the last diet. And then they look at, in this case, hey, this would be perfect. So... People are putting on weight so much and so easily because they're not active enough. And do you know what you have to do with carbs? They're good for you, but do you know what happens? It turns into fat, but you have to burn it. It, you know, it, it obviously is a type of sugar, but then it will store itself as fat in the human body. And, if you don't, and that's if you don't use it. When it's the sugar. So it converts to the sugar, and during that time you need to use it. But if you're sedentary, guess what happens? Then it gets stored into your body as fat. That's why the keto diet is good for Americans today. That's the, that is truly the reason why, because of the lifestyle that we live. And it's not, oh, we just have a different lifestyle. We don't have a healthy lifestyle. We sit around too much. All of us, we sit on our butts too much. What we need to do is eat a good, healthy diet. We need to learn tips from the Bible of what is healthy, what the Lord had for them to eat. And, you know, I, doesn't the keto diet teach you to stay away from fats or no? Is that wrong? No, it, it actually tells you to eat fats, right? That's what it is. It's heavy on fats, right? Well, that jives with the... So this is, this is wrong about other diets. Other diets will say, like, fat is bad for you. Well, if you remember, you know, the, the Lord, when He had the, the priests giving the sacrifices, they were supposed to consume the fat. When they gave the sacrifices, they... They, uh, ate, they sacrificed every day and ate that sacrifice every single day. Every single day. Actually, the fat is the Lord's, isn't it? Yeah. The fat is the Lord's. That was the point that I was going to make, which is a little bit, you know, tongue-in-cheek. But notice the Lord wanted the fat, right? You know, when I, when I get a, a steak, I don't order a sirloin. I order a ribeye because it comes with the most fat. It's the most flavorful if you look it up because the, the fat stores all of the flavor. But a lot of people say, hey, the fat's not good for you. I don't believe that. When they ate the lamb, though, at the Passover, they were supposed to eat all of it. That included the fat, with the pertinence thereof. So there are times when the children of Israel are also commanded to eat the fat as well. Fat is good for you even scientifically if you look up opinion. And there are a lot of different opinions about foods and nutrition and health and things like that. So you know what you need to start when there's a lot of confusion about that? The Bible. You need to start with the Bible. And let's look at that diet that Jesus ate. Let's look at the diet. You know what he ate? Butter and honey. That wasn't low-fat butter. He's drinking milk. This is, th these things are all good for you, right? 
a lot of, you know what the keto diet is perfect for? It's perfect for Americans because we're not active. That's why. That's, that really and truly is the reason why. So let's not allow the new fad of diets to, you know, for us to be carried about with every, you know, wind of doctrine of diets and nutrition, right? Before we look at the Bible. Let's make sure that we have the Bible as our authority in all of these, in all areas of our life, even when it comes to food. I want the Lord to tell me how to eat too. I don't want to have these, you know, these areas of my life where I have to figure it out. I want to go to the Bible and Scripture and, and allow the Lord to tell me that as well. So I had you turn to, that went on a little bit longer than I expected, 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. Now here is the major danger of veganism. The major danger of veganism is that veganism, which you may not be aware of this, and I was not to its fullest extent, veganism is not about health at all. And when you listen to them, the biggest activists, they will tell you this. Veganism is not about your diet. 100%. It is not about having the healthiest diet. I have even heard the two biggest activists in the world a couple of different times as admit that it is not necessarily the best diet. That's not the reason why they do it. That's not what veganism is about. Now maybe vegetarians may do this and maybe there are vegans that believe that that's why they're doing it because they've been you know duped into thinking this but the people that have that know the statistics they'll admit to you I have to supplement my diet a lot and I have problems getting the correct nutrients. I've heard them admit it multiple times. They know that it is not a sufficient diet for the human body. Veganism is a philosophy. That's why there is vegan soap as well. Has nothing to do with the diet. You notice that? That's why there is oh, vegan clothing. Vegan clothing lines. That doesn't have to do with your health. That doesn't have to do with food. There's, there's all different types of vegan products. And what's the reason? Because it's not about health. It's not about their diet. It's actually about a philosophy. And it stems from Buddhism. Veganism is the religion of Buddhism repackaged. If you look it up, you'll notice that the top advocates and the top pushers of veganism, they're all Buddhists. All of them are Buddhists. Or if they're not a fully embracing you know, uh, of Buddhism, they accept masses of it, but then they're just basically, I'm just not religious. But they teach the virtues and the principles of Buddhism. All of them. There's a guy who is the most popular. His name is Earthling Ed. And that's obviously not his you know, birth name. You know, that's his name on YouTube. That's the name he goes by. Ed is, is of course his name. And then there's another guy named Joey Carbstrong. These guys are the two biggest activists for veganism. And these guys go out and they are active. And these guys are militant. They're on shows constantly. They are pushing hard for veganism. But they're not pushing for your diet specifically. That's always gets what, what gets brought up when they're debating people, but that's not what they're concerned about. They're concerned about this. They're concerned about the suffering, in their words, and the violence of animals. Veganism is not about the diet. Veganism is a philosophy and a worldview of reality and where we live in nature. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. And I want to show you the attitude that we should have about animals. Vegans are supposedly, their goal, what their goal is, and they've said this many times, it, it is to eliminate as much suffering and violence as possible. And what they say, they have a key word that they use, and this is extremely important, all of them, Earthling Ed, Joey Carbstrong, all big vegans. They want to eliminate suffering and violence 
to sentient beings. Sentient beings. Now, the word sentient, you may not have heard it before because it is, it is exclusively a Buddhist word. That's where it derived from. That's where it was used. And it encompasses five things. I don't remember what all of them were, but it's like consciousness, perception, you know, emotion. These five things are what consider you as being a sentient being, right? You know, a, a being that is conscious, that's aware of its surroundings, you know, to some degree, that feels suffering. That's one of them as well, that can feel pain or feel suffering. They want to eliminate all violence and all suffering to sentient beings. So you know what that the only thing that's left in the planet around you is what? Plants. Plants. The reason why they choose a plant-based diet has nothing to do with health. Has nothing to do with that they think that this is a superior you know, food source. It's that it's the only thing that is not sentient. It's the only thing that is not conscious or aware or has perception or they don't believe that you know, plants suffer. That's what they say, which they don't. That's ridiculous, right? You know, so that's what they'll say. That we need to eliminate as much suffering and violence as possible to sentient beings. I want you to look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, verse number 8. It says this. Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law also, the same also. Look at verse 9. For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox, I'm sorry, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox, that treadeth out the corn. So he's citing the Bible here. He's talking about a man eating, that a man should be able to eat, and he's, saying, he's using this as an example for man. So what he's doing essentially is he's comparing a man to an animal, isn't he? Isn't he? He's using the animal as an example for the man, and he's saying, for it is written, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, right? So the ox can eat, therefore you can eat. But I want you to notice what he says next, because you know, you could say, well, what is he trying to act like they're of the same value? Look at what it says next. Doth God take care for oxen? Now, we wouldn't word that this way. We would say it this way. Does God care about oxen? Like, does he care about their feelings? Does he think they have value? Does he care about their suffering? Does he want to make sure? This is what the context is. Think about this. Does he want to make sure that the oxen are fed? Is that why he's saying this? Does he want to make sure that that ox itself gets sufficient food? Think about that. Did God care about oxen? Is that why he said this? Look at verse 10. Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? Look at the answer. For our sakes, no doubt. So what was the purpose why that took place? Where the, where the oxen was not to be muzzled? What was the reason? What does he say that the purpose was? For our sakes. For our sakes, no doubt. And what was the question that was being asked? Is it because God cares about oxen? Notice that he says this too, or saith he it altogether for our sakes. You know what that means? Completely. Completely. Do you know what, do you know what also that indicates? He has no care for oxen. The whole purpose that he said, he had no concern about them. This attitude that we should be concerned or care about animals is unbiblical. God does not care about animals. God does not concern or have, you know, when God looks at animals, He does not see any worth there at all, period. He does not see any value. And God was not concerned that the oxen was fed. He had no concern about that. I want you to think about that. He was not worried about making sure that the oxen was fed. That wasn't the reason why He did that. It wasn't to make sure that the oxen, you know, had sufficient food. 
You know what it was? It was for our sakes altogether. Doth God take care for oxen? This is where we need to get our biblical philosophy about the world around us, about animals, around, about people, about the world we live in. If God doesn't take care for oxen or for animals in general, should we? Don't you think that we should try to imitate the Lord? Don't you think that He does things perfectly? Don't you think that He, of course, He's righteous, He's holy, right? We need to have the same type of philosophy that the Bible teaches and that the Lord teaches and that God teaches. And the biblical philosophy is that God does not take care for oxen. God does not take care for animals. And this attitude that Buddhists have and, and that this veganist type of attitude, this veganism, that we need to be concerned about animals is unbiblical completely. It's totally and 100% unbiblical. Where they're concerned about the suffering and, the, and they call it violence. That's one of the big problems that these people do over and over and over again, the vegans. Because they use these trigger words like violence, murder. You know, these guys are all from Australia and, and, and England. You know, they use the word murder. They use the word abuse. They use the word... And they'll set up these, these, these tables where it has a sign out like... You know, slaughterhouses are abuse, or slaughterhouses are murder. Changed my mind. You know, they took that from, what's that guy's name? Jeremy Crowder? Is that his name? Stephen Crowder. Crowder, right? I went to school with a guy named Jeremy Crowder. That's why I just said that. I he played on my basketball team. Stephen Crowder. So he's like, slaughterhouses are murder. Changed my mind. They use these words where you can see where they draw the line of value by that word. That shows you their philosophy. And do you know what they think? They think that animals are equal unto people. They are applying the same type of terminology that if I killed Brother Hall, they would, they would use the exact same word of what I did to Brother Hall as if I went out there and killed a sparrow. Or I went out there and stepped on an ant. The exact same, because they're both sentient beings. Do you know what they do? They have a, they have a place where they draw the line. A sentient being. They believe that the value of life of all sentient beings is equal. And that if you are killing, and that's why they would, this whole area of ants, all types of insects, rodents, whatever it is, if they're conscious, if they're aware, if they can perceive, if they understand suffering and violence, they would say that if you kill any of those types of animals or insects even, that you have murdered them. They say that it's abuse, right? That, it's, that, that in the slaughterhouses, murder's going on, they're abusing these, these animals, you know, uh, they, they use the word rape because they, you know, they inseminate the way in which they impregnate the animals to make sure that the cows are, keep giving milk and then also, you know, uh, uh, so they'll, they'll, they'll extract, the, you know, extract it from the bull and then inseminate the, the calf, right? Or the, the, the uh, cow itself, that's the female, right? So that it will continue to produce milk. And they'll say that you're raping it. You are out of your mind. You are crazy. No, really. You know, the, the world has lost its mind that, if you, that, if, that if, if you kill an animal, that you have murdered that animal. You have no understanding of life, my friend. None at all. You have no idea of the world around you. That's why we have to appeal to the Bible. When you get off of this being your authority, when you move, I want you to think about that. When you move away from the Bible, if you were to just right now try to say, the Bible is not my authority, I you know, it's, I have no religious authority. You're going to end up in a dark, weird, evil place. Where do you draw the line of what matters? Where do you get your morality from? 
Where do you understand what's right and wrong? Explain to me and teach me why there's a difference between men or human beings, mankind and animals. Tell me. That's what happens. When you move away from the Bible, do you know how I know that there's a difference between mankind and animals? Because God said so. Because the Creator is the one who determines the value of life. And He tells me that mankind has value and animals do not. That's how I know. And when, when oftentimes when these guys are sitting there and debating or they get in these conversations with people and their activism, there are, these are people that claim to be Christians, but they're so far removed from the Bible as their authority. They have this other contradicting philosophy of evolution, and they're so confused. And they've, and they've been brainwashed their whole life of, of this type of love for animals. And like I mentioned in the one sermon that I preached about, uh, you know, worshiping the creature. You know, this goes on at a young age where when you're watching the Disney movies and what they do is they try to depict the characters, characters like they're human beings. And they'll have the character, something bad happen to the character that would happen to a human. Like a breakup in a relationship or something. Or like its parents died. And then you see it like feeling bad for it. And you know what you start to do? You start to imitate emotions that are only exclusively for a human being for that animal. And then what happens is your philosophy, philosophy excuse me, is slowly being changed in the way in which you look at the value of the life of an animal. And you start to look at that animal just like you would look at a human being. That's why in this, move, in this movement that's going on of veganism, a lot of these people are around the same age. A lot of them are like middle class, hippie, tree-hugging type of trendy, you know, earthling Ed's got his man bun, he's got his beard grown out, he's emaciated and as skinny as could possibly be because he's not getting the correct nutrition that he needs. This guy, Joey Carbstrong, same type of deal. He doesn't have a man bun, but he's a complete weirdo. He's feminine as all get out. They're both, they both look like sodomites. These are the two biggest activists for this type of stuff. And they just have this bleeding heart for animals. You can just hear them. They're just like, it just tears them up. They, and that's what they do is they try to appeal to everyone's emotions because they know the way in which they feel and they have all these emotions about animals, they've been programmed to feel like that. And because we live in a very cleansed, sanitary type of society where we don't see animals being slaughtered, besides my children the other day when I chopped off the chicken's head, right? <laughs> We don't see this type of stuff. So we live in this sanitary type of society. But people in Africa don't feel that way, my friend. Nao was making that video where this guy's chasing around this chicken. We're getting ready to have dinner, and he's chasing this chicken around. Right? They would have brought that chicken out right in front of everybody, continued their conversation, wringed its neck off, threw it in the plucker. They would have done all that and not batted an eye. Do you know what you guys would do? <gasps> Try not to look at it. Do you know why? Because you're not used to it. Do you know why all these stinking weirdos of this generation are acting like this? Because they grew up on Disney movies. Because they grew up being pita shoved down their throat. They, you know, they, they, and they try to appeal to nature as far as the way that they feel and their morality. You know that that's just wrong. No, you think that that's wrong because you've been programmed to look at that stinking animal like it's a human being. We need to really get back to a Christian understanding of the value of the life of an animal. Zero. Nil. None. None. It has no value. God slaughtered billions, billions of quails and just let them lay there to make a point. Amen. Think about that. No value. To the extent that I could, I could pull out a gun and there's a bunch of random 
cows or whatever, and I can walk out there and blow all their heads off. It doesn't matter. I haven't sinned against the Lord, honestly. You know what? Now, that may be an indicator of a, of a deeper-seated problem of the loving you know, destruction, maybe. If I just did that for no reason, it'd be like, why would you enjoy something like that, right? But that's not because I transgressed against that animal. Right? It's not like, you know, that was a major sin. You need to go confess that sin to the Lord, brother. That's not biblical. God doesn't give a crap. That would not bother the Lord. That would not bother God at all. Right. Not at all. I could go kill as many animals as I want, and it's, God's not up in heaven grieving because you know, the, the, the hearts of men are you know, wicked continually. Like it says in Genesis 6, that's, that's not violence. That's not true violence. Vi this is why those, those trigger words matter. Violence means, means, means to violate. Those animals have no rights. God decides what rights you have. And in Genesis chapter number 1, do you know what rights they have? For me to have dominion over them. Right. I choose their rights. He put them into my hand. I can do whatever I please with an animal. Right. Anything that I stink and want. Anything. Now, I mean, is it smart just to just like abuse the resources? It's not smart for your sake. You may use them all up, but he don't give a crap. He doesn't care. They're in your hand. You're the boss of them. You do with them what you please. And these vegans are real deceitful too in their debates. When they have the conversation, they try to act like, yeah, I know, you know, the Bible said, like they believe the Bible. And I saw in a couple of Christian conversations, they said this, conversations with Christians, that is. You know, I know the Bible says to have dominion over them, but to have dominion over them, does that mean to, you know, slaughter them and cut their throat and allow all the blood to come out? And they're trying to paint this graphic picture because they know the person they're talking to has, you know, this bleeding heart for animals too because you've been programmed that way and manipulated by modern society. And so they're acting as if, yeah, you can have dominion but not kill them. I watched in another video where this guy said, this is veganism. It's not a diet. You shouldn't ride horses. You know why? Because that horse has rights. And you don't know if they, if they want you riding them or not. They may not, 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 not like that. Might not like being ridden. That is a perfect picture of man taking dominion over the animals when he's riding that horse around. You know what he's doing? He's ruling that horse. He's got the bridles there, right? And he is, has dominion and he is telling that horse and manipulating that horse, go here, don't go there. You'll kick them to get them to stop, right? They have full control over it. They don't believe and have, they don't believe the Bible at all. Right. Not even at all. They believe in this religion of Buddhism. And that's all veganism is. It is not a diet. It is a philosophy of the world. That's why there's vegan this, vegan that, outside of a diet. Veganism, they're not doing it because even the people that are big in it, they know it's not healthy. They know I got a supplement. You know, Joey Carbstrong was the guy who was walking around spraying in his face. And he even says when he sprayed in his mouth, he's like, got my B12 right there, hey? And he's like, he says something like, uh, uh, what, now what do you think I should do? You think I should just cast this aside and go murder a couple of you know, uh, calves so that I can get sufficient vegan, uh, for, for sufficient nutrients from that? Would that be better? You know, isn't this a little easier than killing a couple of calves? That's what he's saying. What is he, why is he telling you he's doing it? To eliminate suffering and violence. They're a bunch of stinking Buddhists. That's what they are. Veganism is Buddhism. There's no difference besides the name. And a lot of people don't know it. That's what it is. 
That's what veganism is. Does God take care for oxen? Not at all. I want to go through these other ones fast. I spent way too much time ran. Go to Mark 5. I want, I want you to see it from the Bible. I want you to know clearly God's attitude about animals. He has zero care for animals. Period. None at all. Period. Mark 5. Look at Mark 5. Uh, Mark 5. Look at verse 8. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. This is Jesus, and he's, he's uh, encountered this man that has many devils. Verse 9, And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Verse 11, Now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. Verse 13, and forthwith Jesus gave them leave. That means he allowed them to go, right? It's like the military type of way of saying that as well. He gave them leave. Gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And remember that Jesus knows all things, right? He knows the beginning from the end. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. How many pigs died right there? 2,000. Did Jesus know that that was going to happen? He did. And he did it anyways. Was there a purpose of that? Was anything gained or advantaged from that at all? None. Besides one thing, actually. This man that had the devils come out. So you, you, know, what I, you know what you could use this for? Not only is it just a waste, because he could have sent him into something else. But you know what Jesus was going to make sure took place? That that man was freed from those devils. <coughs> but I, mean, you, you, I could also say Jesus know, knew the beginning from the ending. And if he had care about those swine, wouldn't he have sent the, sent the uh, devils into something else? He would have, right? But he knew that 2,000 were going to die and he did it anyways. 2,000 died. You know why? Because they're just like the quail. They're just like the oxen. God does not take care of oxen. That shows the value. We, sometimes you don't really get it, but it's zero value. None. Their whole purpose. Their whole purpose is for us. And one of the words that, that these guys will use all the time is exploitation. I don't believe that they should be exploited. Now obviously that has negative connotations, but I'll embrace that. We should exploit animals. We should. They are our resources, and that's what we're doing with them. We should exploit them. Animals are here for a purpose. And obviously God designed the earth where things have symbiotic relationships, but many of them, we get things from it and uses from them. And we can use animals for different purposes, like the horse riding the horse, the cat food, different foods and things like that, right? There's all different types of things that you can use animals for, right? One of the things that they go after oftentimes too is because people love dogs. I'm not going to... Not going to say anything about your new dog here, right? But people love dogs in our society. This is something that they'll bring up. So what they do is, they're like, would you take... Because all sentient beings are the same to them. So they would say, they'll show videos of cows being slaughtered. Or calves or whatever, sheep or whatever being slaughtered. And then they'll say, would you like that to happen to your dog? Would you be mad if that happened to your dog? And of course, people get an emotional connection with their dog, right? So what does everybody say? No, of course not. So what's the difference in your dog and this cat? And they convert people like this. You know why? Because people have the wrong understanding of animals. That really is what it is. A dog 
even if you use it as a pet, has zero value. None. It has no value at all, period. It's an animal. God doesn't care about it at all. In the Bible, dogs are looked down upon more than any animal. They're like, talked about as being beasts. You know, when people want to like devalue their own life, they're like, what am I, a dead dog's head? That in the culture of Israel, they look down upon dogs, it seemed like, more than... And cultures are different. Some cultures will... And that's what he's playing on, is the bleeding heart for dogs in our culture. Some cultures will exalt certain animals, while other cultures will put them down further. Or some cultures, you know, like certain animals more than they like other animals. And in the United States, Western society in general, people, they take dogs as pets. Other societies will get other types of animals as pets, and you would think that's weird. Why do you have those animals as pets? But they're all pointless in the sense that value of life they all have zero value none of them have you know a dog doesn't have any more value than the quail or the ox a dog has just as much value as an ant on that sidewalk out there it does that's true you may not feel that way but they're only here for dominion that's their only purpose I'll give you a, a purpose for a dog you know I said this to brother Hall the other night when we were talking about this barking you know what they're likened to it tells you the purpose in the Bible Exactly. It's talking about a watchman, a prophet of the nation. And he calls them dumb dogs that can't bark. You know what the purpose of a dog is? You can have a dog. You know, keep the dog there so that he can alert you if there's trouble coming. There's nothing wrong with that. If you have a dog at your house, the dog can be a watchman. He can be, you know, uh, you can use him and have dominion and train him for that purpose and to make sure that he tells you someone's there. Just to alert you that someone is coming in the door. That's a good purpose of a dog. You could have a dog for that. So you got to train your dog to be a good watchman, right? So, you know, we can find different purposes for the animals because we're supposed to have dominion over them. And then there's symbiotic relationships where one animal does something else with another animal and then we use that, right? So, but this is what we need to understand from the Bible. Animals have no value in the sight of God. None. Zilch. He'd slay all of them and not stinking bat an eye. Kill them all and not care. But man has value in the sight of God. That's, this, I went on too long. Go to Matthew 10.29. Matthew 10.29. We're going to have to end in Matthew 10.29. I had more stuff that I wanted to go over. Yeah, so Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 to 28 is where when God, the creator, who decides the purpose of life, tells you the reason why he made his creation. Man is to have a relationship with him. Man has value in the sight of God. God cares about man. Animals do not. And the reason why the animals are here are for us and to help us, to be our resources, to exploit them. I don't care to use that term. They're here for our exploitation. There's a video that they even came out with that's super popular. Millions and millions and millions of views called Dominion. Where do you think they get that from? Where do you think they get that from? It's vegan. A vegan thing. It's not just the diet. It's Buddhism. It's, it's eliminating suffering to sentient beings. That's what it's about. That's all that this veganism is. That's all that it is. And then uh, I'll give you an example. Um, a real good example. Solomon, when he dedicated the temple, Brother Hall brought this up to me. Do you know how many animals died? I don't know if you remember or not, but I looked it up. 120,000 sheep he sacrificed at the dedication to the Lord. 22,000 oxen. A hundred and one-tenth of a million. 120,000 sheep he sacrificed. The Lord, do you know what happened? The, the, the temple filled with the glory of the Lord. That don't happen often in the Old Testament. 
That happened when Moses was around, when he spoke to Moses face to face, but God coming down, do you know what that tells me? He was happy. He was pleased with that 120,000 sheep. You know what they did? This may make you feel a little queasy, but they had to kill every last one of those sheep. Think about it. They had to take them and slit their throat. You know why that's weird to you? It's not that I'm, you're thinking, you're crazy. Stop talking about that. You know, you might be a serial killer. <laughs> he literally, in one of his videos, likened Jeffrey Dahmer unto these people at slaughterhouses. I'm not kidding you. That shows how sick that guy is. You're the one that's, that's mentally ill. You know, they had to kill all the animals. 120,000 of them killed them. 22,000 oxen. A tenth of a million sheep. That's insane. That is such a high number. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. He was pleased with the offering. He was pleased with that. Do you know why? Because that 120,000, it, let me word it this way. Those animals, they used those animals. They were important to them, not because of the life of the animal, but because it helped them. Because they were an advantage. And if Solomon was willing to give up 120,000 sheep that he could have eaten, got milk from, done all different types, it, it's a part of their economy. And he said, I, it's like taking, it's like me walking down here, and I mean, imagine if even each of them cost a dollar. It'd like me be donating $120,000. That's what it's like. That's why the Lord was pleased, because they were willing to sacrifice what was meant to be part of their economy and to help them and to be a resource for them. That's why the Lord was pleased with it. And um, he did that multiple times. And... Uh, uh, um, 1 Kings 3, when the Lord appears to him in a dream or the vision, I think he, it's like 20,000 or something. It's a super high number. It's in the thousands. He again, you know, when, when uh, the, uh, uh, the Lord appears to Solomon, he offers like, maybe it's 5,000, but it's a lot. That's a lot of animals, man. To, to kill 120,000 sheep, do you know how long that would take? That's a lot. You know, the Lord was pleased with all of this. So, where did I have you turn? Matthew 10. Okay, Matthew chapter number 10. Now, I, I didn't even really get to get to what I really wanted to talk about. I'm going to read this verse and spend two, three minutes on it. Matthew 10, 29, it says this. Are not two sparrows sold for a, a farthing? Now, what is a farthing? It's a piece of money. Money is value to people, right? That's what he's, he's liking it. He's talking about the value of something. For a farthing. And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. Saying he knows of it. And then it says in verse 30. But the very... Hairs of your head are all numbered. Verse 31. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. People have this weird idea where they're trying to say that human beings and animals are equal. And human beings, and, and it's just all, what we should be worried about is all sentient beings. These people, that the Christians that do claim this type of veganism, Buddhism, they're of course not saved, none of them. But they believe that even animals are like moral and they're getting to heaven and they know right and wrong. That's why it's not murder because you murder someone that's innocent. Human beings have the capability, they have, we have a moral uh, conscious, right? We understand right and wrong. Animals do not have that capability. So if you kill a being that has the capability of right and wrong, you have murdered someone. If you kill a being that does not have the capability of right and wrong, you just killed it. It's just an animal. The Bible is real clear that people have value in the sight of God. And I want you to understand this. Did God take care for oxen? No. 
Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? Altogether for our sakes, no doubt. He cares about animals. He doesn't care about animals at all. Not even slightly. Now, I'm gonna, like I said, two minutes on this quickly. I wanted to go to 1 Timothy 4, but we don't have enough time. The Bible talks about how in the last days, there's going to be doctrines like this that are taught, where people are commanding to abstain from meats. And then it goes on to tell you which God hath provided for us. He gave it to us. As long as it's to be received with thanksgiving. We can eat all things. We know that all things are clean. We can eat everything. But there are going to be people in the end times that are going to talk about that we should, that they are going to be commanding to abstain from meats. This veganism group, I don't know if you're aware of this, but this veganism group, they are pushing for a new world order. They want to have a globalist movement. This is, this is millions of people. They desire to have a globalist type of movement and they want to convert the entire world to veganism. They've went in the past four years from 1% to 6% in the United States. And I'll tell you why this matters very much. is because I believe that things that people claim to be global issues, that in the end, end times, the way that they're going to be able to move all of these independent sovereign nations under one umbrella and one system of government is the fact that they are going to, as they always do, play on people's emotions. And they are going to scare you into thinking that this is necessary in order to save our lives and to preserve the planet. And a couple of the movements that will be used is climate change. And they will, they will you know, claim that we're all going to be dead in, in 50 to 100 years, therefore it is necessary that all nations come together because there has to be policies that everyone uh, follows, doesn't there? If they were, if we were to, you know, supposedly, if, if from their perspective, if the world's changing, you have certain countries that are causing massive amount of damage and other countries that are not and they have all of these different policies. If, if they were to push this agenda that, hey, the world's being destroyed and we need to fix this, what are they going to have to do? They're going to have to pass global laws. They're going to have to pass laws that all nations will have to work, uh, 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 that will have to abide to. Veganism is, is basically the source of climate change. They're all huge into climate change. Huge into climate change. They're huge in the fact of, 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 of saving the planet and saving you know, the animals. And they have agendas that where they are trying to convert the entire world. They have whole plants, manifests that they have written where they are trying to transition the world into a type of veganism. Imagine a world at this rate in 50 years, 100 years where 80% becomes vegan. 70% becomes vegan. 85% of the world is now vegan. And it's a democratic type of vote that takes place with the UN. The ambassador, one of the ambassadors of, of the UN said this, we can have a world of peace. We can move toward a world where we live in harmony with nature, where we live in harmony with each other. No matter what nation we come from, no matter what our religion, no matter what our culture, this is where we are moving towards. This was in a speech in Peace Day 2008 by Dr. Jane Goodall's message. This is a message that she gave. You know what she is? She's a vegan. You know what she wants to do? She, look her up. She has, she, wants to, she has tons of plans in order to bring the entire country, or the entire world, I'm sorry, under one umbrella and one system of government. And you know what she wants to do? She wants to convert the entire world to veganism. She, they have systems where they want to totally completely eradicate any sort of agriculture. You know, agrarian type of societies, they want to get rid of any sort of agriculture at all, period. 
besides plant-based. And they have how we're going to wean off of this and exactly how this is going to work. And you know what? You know why they say that? Climate change. Climate change. This is from BBC.com. This is an article that they had. Plant-based diet can fight, eliminate, or can, can fight climate change. This is from the UN. That was a quotation from the UN. If we all converted to a plant-based diet, the UN says that we could fight uh, climate change. This is from PETA.org. They had an article on the subject of this. Fight climate change by going vegan. That's from PETA. This is from CNN. Climate change. The ideal diet to save the planet in 2019. If you don't think that this is being pushed for globalism, you're out of your mind. Do you know why? In order to get us all... How do you think that they're going to pull that trigger on all nations coming under one umbrella? Well, how do they take away your freedoms today? They scare you. They present a crisis. This is your global crisis. This is at least a step in the direction of how all nations are going to be brought together. And the UN, the United Nations has people on their board that believes in all nations coming together. They, that sounds crazy to you, but they believe in it. And they would argue for it and debate it. We know that that's going to happen. And you know, what's going to, you know who's going to end up coming in power and all the, 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 the authority is going to be given to? The Antichrist. This matters. This subject matters more than you think. And, it's, and when you look it up, it's growing rapidly. There's a movie called Hope that was also one of the most popular vegan movies. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's, you know, it's popular amongst like, people that eat organic and things like that. And the, it, the movie started out with that woman from the UN speaking and talking about bringing all... You know, we, we all can do our part and how the whole world needs to limit, live in harmony. This is the same lady who's pushing for this type of globalism. This may not be the, the actual, the number one reason why everybody comes together, but there'll be multiple factors. That's why we need to stay aware and, and know why we believe what we believe on all subjects. And veganism, don't be duped by this, oh, plant-based diet is more healthy for you, all of this crap. Number one, you need to know the Bible. Don't be duped by any diet that just arises. Think about and know now what the Bible teaches about food. And then when you're presented with these things later, you can know, well, I know that's not true because the Bible teaches this. Or I know that's not true because the Bible teaches this. Number one. But then also number two, understand and know that if you know people that are caught up in veganism and all this, it's not just about their diet. When they talk amongst each other, when you get deep into it, they well aware explain to you, no, I have to supplement. I know that it's not the healthiest diet. But... What they, what they would reveal to you is that they're concerned about sentient beings. This is Buddhism. This is false religion. We need to stay far away from it and it's coming in under the guise of this vegan type of diet. Now should we hate them if it's just the diet that they have? No. There's no reason if that's just their diet and they just do and they're confused about it and they're just eating vegetables, there's no reason to hate them. Right? But we need to know what the Bible teaches about these subjects. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity on all subjects, even to the subjects of diet and food and uh, the value of, of, of life and human life as opposed to animals and the purpose of animals and, and all of these different things. Uh, we thank you for uh, uh, giving us the awareness in the book of Revelation that there will one day be a one world government so that we can see these things before they're coming because of the signs and the warnings that you've given to us. Help us to take heed to these things. Help us not to get caught up into the doctrines of devils uh, as this is, dear Lord, but to stay far away from 
become this type of attitude that's exalting animal life, but in turn and, and behind the scenes is really uh, 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 devaluing uh, man's life and the life of human. We love you so much. When, help us to care about human life. Help us to care about everyone that's here. Help us to have the right philosophy of life in every area. And please bless our church and be with us. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.